my eyes look red, it was if my eyes look red, it wasn't because I was crying. I was just rubbing them. So I mean, I was, I'm fine. Um, man, what a what a great time to just appreciate and soak in uh, the goodness uh, of God. And uh, like I said before, if you're here uh, for the first time, uh, we want to say welcome. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 11 again, so if you have your Bible, you can open to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, don't worry. Everything that we look at today is going to be on the screen uh, behind me or to my sides and invite you to follow along that way. As I was getting ready for um, Easter Sunday for teaching this passage, uh, an, an event or something that happened to me came back to mind. I, um, I love golf. Anybody else? Yeah, okay, a few. No, no? How dare you repent and believe. Um, I love golf. And so a few, uh, few years ago for my birthday, I uh, decided to buy myself a new set of golf clubs. And I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a deal shopper. And so I refuse to fit, pay full price for anything. And so I uh, set out on a quest through Google to find the cheapest set of golf clubs that I could. And I picked out a Callaway set of golf clubs and, and one that I had hit and that I really liked. And so I went um, and, and through this site bought these golf clubs. Now, when they came, there's a few minor things that sort of stood out to me, like the box didn't say Callaway and, and they smelled a little bit funky, but I just figured it was that new golf smell. And so I, like a kid on Christmas morning, tore open that box and opened up all of my clubs and got in the car immediately and went to the driving range. Now, as I was out on the driving range, I can tell you very honestly that I have never hit a golf ball so poorly in my life. And I'm sitting there and I'm holding my brand new clubs that I think are like God's gift to me to shoot somewhere under a hundred, right? And, and I'm going, what in the world happened? And I got back in my car. I was so disappointed. And I went home and, and I'm just, I'm just stewing. You know that feeling of like, oh, what happened? And I hop online and I Google how to know if you bought fake golf clubs. And the first thing that pops up is handles smell like cheap rubber. So I'm on my computer and I go, handles smell like cheap rubber. And I don't smell anything, you know, and I might put my hands up closer to my nose and I'm like, no, what happened? And I had, I'd been had. I had bought Callaway golf clubs from the center of China, what I found out. And as I tried to get my money back, I sent a lot of empty threat emails like, you're going to, I'm going to report you to the Better Business Bureau. And they're like, what is that? We don't have that in China, you know? Oh, and I, I kept, you know, I kept calling and it was an expensive phone call and I kept sending emails and they just went into this uh, vacuum of cyberspace, I'm sure. What I realized is, man... Uh, what I wouldn't give to just trade these in for the real thing. And, and I'm sure we've all been there in some way, shape, or form. My guess is you don't have a fake set of Callaway golf clubs in your garage. If you do, we should hit the links sometime. <clears throat> but I think we all have areas of our life. We all have things that we go through where we wish we could have like a, a redo. You know, we wish we could exchange it. That, that business deal gone bad. We wish we could go back and we could invest in something completely different. The relationship that leaves us brokenhearted. We wish we could just sort of take a, a step back. The marriage that just breaks down and isn't repairable. We wish that we could 
do something about it. And I think all of us in some way, if we were honest this morning, we would say, yeah, I've, I've been there before. <laughs> Wish I could have made an exchange, but I knew that it just wasn't possible. Did you know that, that I think God has felt the same way in that he's seen things, he sees things in the way that our world operates, in the way that our world functions. And he says, you know what, I, I want to change that. I wish that, that that were, I wish that were different. Here's the deal. So, so God can see that piece of it. What he has never seen is, but I can't do anything about it. See, God has never looked at the situation here on earth through humanity and gone, you know what? I'd love to make an exchange. I'd love to make a trade, but I just can't do anything about it. He's never thought that. He's never been left holding the golf clubs going, I wish I could do something about it, but I can't. He, as we just sung, is able. He's able. And what we celebrate this morning is a God who says, and he looks at death and sorrow and pain, and he doesn't say, I wish I could do something about it, but I can't. He looks at it and he says, I'm going to do something about it. Open to John chapter 11 as we explore Jesus confronting death and providing power for the great exchange. Here's the way that this passage begins. We're going to be in verse 17 to start with. Uh, just to catch you up in the story, Jesus is um, moving towards uh, Bethany, a little town, uh, right about two miles away from Jerusalem, where he's gotten word from his friends that another one of his friends has died. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and say, Jesus, get here immediately. Lazarus is sick. And when Jesus gets on the scene, as we're going to see, his friend Lazarus has already died. Verse 17 begins like this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And, and that's a Jewish person's way of saying he wasn't just part dead. He wasn't sort of dead. He was really dead. Really dead. And Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. You sort of see their personalities. Mary just wants to, Mary wants to grieve in private. She just wants her moment with God not to be interrupted. And Martha's like, no, we got to talk about this. Because I don't think that this is the way that this should have gone. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever had that conversation with God? God, like, it's great that you show up now. But where were you four days ago? Could have really used you then. But I know. So she has this little flicker of faith. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus takes control of the conversation at this point in time. And he says, your brother will rise again. Now, this is a theological truth that many Jewish people believed. That, that the resurrection was a reality and something that they looked forward to and something that they hoped at. But what Jesus is going to point his finger at and what he's going to get his finger on the pulse of is that Martha believes this theologically. She understands it as truth, but she doesn't believe it practically. Look at what he says next. 
Martha answers, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. Translation, Jesus, what you have said is true, but what does that have to do with right now? What does that have to do with today? She goes, yeah, yeah, I get it, Jesus. Resurrection, it's coming at the last day. But right now, death hurts. Right now, this is painful. This sorrow is almost too much to handle right now, Jesus. And I know that I have hope for the last day, but what about today? How many of us, I think we've been taught a version of Christianity that gives us very little power today and gives us a lot of hope for the last day. But what about in between? Here's the great truth that Jesus is going to point out to to you and to I, to Mary and to Martha this morning. Is that resurrection power is not just a power for tomorrow. It's not just a power for the last day. It is that. It is that. But it's far, far, far from only that. And here's what Jesus is going to say in this passage. Actually, let's read it. And then I'll tell you what I think he says. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I'm sorry, it's on the screen for you there. Believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Can you imagine Martha going, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe it, Jesus, and, and I, I want to trust it, Jesus, but still, question, what does it have to do with right now? You ever been there with God? Like, yeah, I, I believe that all these things are true, and, and I believe that you are good, and that you're gracious, and that you're coming again, and I believe all of that, but it just doesn't seem to give me anything for now. And here's what Jesus speaks into Martha's life and our life today is that his resurrection provides power for a great exchange. Not just one that we're hoping for someday, although that's part of it. He'll talk about that. And not just one that we see coming out on the horizon, but one that is present for right now. Not just the last day, but also today. But also today. And let's go back as we look at this reality of resurrection And unpack what Jesus says to Mary and Martha. Because the other writers of scripture, they pick up on this importance. They pick up on the importance of what we celebrate today. The fact that the the grave is empty. That Jesus has conquered death. And here's what Paul writes about that truth. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He says, this is the great hinge of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. If Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb, if his body is still in the grave, yeah, then then your faith is useless. But if he did, but if he did, it changes everything. It's the great exchange. He's not sitting there wishing that he could. He's providing away. And let's look back at verses 25 and 26. And we're just going to study them for a few moments this morning to see what Jesus says and and how he provides this great exchange. 
Listen to what he says to Martha. And Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Can we all take a moment and just rejoice at the fact that Jesus doesn't say, I'm 90% of the resurrection. And, 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 and Martha, you're going to have to bring 10% to the table, but I'm, gonna, I'm pretty good. I'm bringing 90, you bring 10. This is, this is great. Here's what Jesus says. Not I'm almost the resurrection and the life. But what Jesus declares to, to Martha and to all of humanity is, Martha, the thing that you were taught on the little flannel board as a kid in Sunday school class, the, the resurrection that's coming in the last day, you're staring at him now. You're looking right at him. And a lot of us have been taught a version of Christianity that's like this 50-50 version of Christianity. You know, where, where, where God does his part and then you pull up your bootstraps and you do yours. Like Jesus dies on the cross and that's great and we celebrate that. That's good news. He rises from the dead, but he does so to declare to us, you're saved, now get to work. And we may not say it like that, but I think that's the way that we live. Many of us. And what Jesus says to Martha is, Martha, I am giving to you this resurrection that you've hoped for. It's bound up in me. It's tied up in me. The resurrection and the life is all about me. Did you know that that Christianity is not about making bad people good? It's not. It's not about helping you curve your behaviors. Christianity at the very core is about making dead people alive. It's not about making bad people good. Look at the way that the Apostle Paul writes this. Uh, we'll, We'll jump to this point. This is what Jesus is saying. The resurrection power provides great exchange in that it renews our identity. Jesus is saying, Martha, everything that I am, now you will be. My resurrection, the fact that I walk out of the grave, is given to you. I love the way that Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I love that he says anyone. So you can't sit here this morning and go, yeah, anyone but me. I'm sure there's a footnote there. Anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And when Jesus says to Martha, I am, he's declaring to her, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. I'm I'm paying the penalty. I'm walking to the cross, Martha. I'm rising from the grave. And Christianity is not a deal you strike with God. It is 0% earning and 100% gift. That's gospel math right there. You bring nothing to the table, he brings it all. And he's not saying, I am almost. He's saying, I am. Martha, I am your new identity. If you'll trust me, if you'll surrender, if you'll die to yourself, I will give you all of me. I'll give you all of me. How does he do that? How does his resurrection do that? How does it prove that? Well, 
You have to rewind his cross in order to get the answer. Because it's on his cross, on the cross that he bears the penalty for your sin that, that rightfully separated you from God and me from God. And I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but, but the cross was a really long time ago. Before most of you were born. And so that means that when Jesus walked to the cross, when Jesus walked to the cross, all of your sin was future sin. He's not looking at you now like you're looking at you going, man, what a what a screw up. I can't believe them or didn't see that one coming. He, I mean, he's never looked at he's never looked at anything you've done and said, I wish I could turn back time and pay for that also. No, 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 no. Friend, when he walks to the cross and bears the penalty of your sin, he carries it all. He carries it all to the cross. He pays the penalty for it. And he walks out of the grave with the receipt saying it's paid in full. It is paid in full. And so I know that there's some here today and you're going, yeah, well, you don't know my story and I don't... I love, I would want to know your story. I do, but I don't care how bad it is because Jesus walked out of the tomb. I mean, there's, you're not the one person that God's going, I wish I could have paid for that one, but I just can't. I'm sorry. You're just, you're not paid in full, completely redeemed. Listen to the way that Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile because you're still in your Sin. Praise be to God. He has been raised. And because he has been raised, you are no longer in your sin. Look at the way he says it in the book of Romans. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to walk for our justification. Slate wiped clean. Clean. And some of us need to hear that this morning. Because we live under this lie that the enemy loves that you believe that those things that you've done are outside of the bounds of God's grace, that the addiction that you just can't seem to shake is somehow outside of the bounds of God's grace, that the relationship gone wrong is somehow outside of the bounds of God's grace, that we all know the things that we think in our head when we play that game with God. And he says, the grave is empty. I am the resurrection. You're not. It's not about what you do. It's about what I've done. Will you trust in me to be wiped completely clean? No more guilt. No more shame. Praise be to God. Easter has come. The grave is empty. Will you believe it this morning? Will you believe it this morning? And I think a lot of us, a lot of us default to just trying to clean up ourselves. You know, I, um, I have a, uh, we are potty training in my house right now. And by me, I mean Avery is potty training in my house. Yeah. And my, my daughter is little Miss Independent. You can pray for us because I just, I know that um, teenage years are going to be awesome. So she's just little, she is little Miss Independent and she wants to do everything on her own, including she wants to potty train herself. And so the other morning we got up, it's like 6.30, we hear the rustling and, and we walk into the bathroom and she's like, Daddy, I went potty on my own. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, like, where is, what happened? 
You know, as a parent, you want to go, praise be to God, but it doesn't look like there's enough material here for what went on. Anyway, so, and I won't go into too much detail, but she did. She, she wiped herself, um, and then she went to our closet, and she sat down on our floor, and she finished the job. And I thought to myself, man, like, not right away, I'm not that spiritual, but as I looked back on it, I thought, you know, like, Lord, how many of the time, how much of the time do I look the same way to you? Like, your, your offer to me is completely wiped clean, completely restored, completely whole, com- done deal. And my response is, all right, l- let me get in on this too. You know, like, I want to I do my part too. I want to I feel useful, God. Allow me... Allow me that. And he says, no, I am, period. Not, not I am 70% and you bring 30 and we're good. No, I am, period. So what Jesus tells Martha is the great exchange provides for you a renewal of your identity. And he goes on, he says this. The second part of verse 25, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he starts to speak right into the greatest fear that every human being carries. It's number one in every single chart that you look at, the fear of death. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but the statistics are alarming how many people eventually die. And so many, so many people live with this weight of what's going to happen after that? What's going to happen after I take my final breath? Where, where, do I, where do I go? What do I do? And what Jesus says to them is, hey, this isn't just the end of the finish line. This is the beginning of the party. That, that's what he says. And he doesn't look out at death and, and sin and sorrow and pain and go, I wish I could do something about it. No, he stares it right in the face. And a few days later, as he goes to the cross and as his tomb is empty, he declares, I have made a way that I've not only renewed your identity, but I've also reversed your destiny. That what your sin earned you was death, but what my sacrifice brought you was life. Life eternal. Life eternal. Life so good that when the Bible describes it, it goes, we can't describe it. It's, it's just, it's no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could even comprehend if we could show you. It's that good. He says, your destiny is reversed. And I love the way that this passage paints Jesus because it doesn't paint Jesus as this soft-spoken, subtle, sort of weakling. It paints him as a man who gets angry and takes names. I mean, look at this in John chapter 11, verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and this is right as he's approaching Lazarus's tomb, and he is just about to say to Lazarus, hey, Lazarus, why don't you get up? Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. This word, deeply moved, it sounds sort of soft. It sounds subtle. It sounds like Jesus is just sort of crossing his arms and going, oh, man. 
It's not that. The word in the Greek is the same word that they use to describe horses when they get angry and go. I mean, it's a it's an expression of rage. It's it's Jesus is is ticked off. This is Jesus's as he approaches Lazarus's tomb. This is Jesus's brave heart moment where he stares death in the face. And he looks at death and he looks at sorrow and he looks at pain and he says, I I hate it. I hate it. And I hate it enough to do something about it. And he, and he weeps. Why does, why does he weep? I mean, I don't think that Jesus weeps. Jesus doesn't weep because his disciples are just sort of loose cannons. He doesn't, he doesn't weep because of that. He doesn't weep because Mary and Martha doubt the fact that he's gonna awaken Lazarus. And I don't even think that he leaps, that he weeps solely or primarily for Lazarus. Because he knows very well that he's about to walk up to Lazarus' tomb and go, Lazarus, it's been a while. Come on out. I think Jesus weeps. And you see the heart of God. In that he weeps because he knows that death and sorrow and pain were something that you and I were never designed for. And he knows very clearly that he's going to interrupt Lazarus' funeral. To the glory of God. But he weeps because he knows there's a lot of funerals that he isn't going to interrupt in the same way. There's a lot of funerals that he doesn't say, all right, hey, I hate this. I hate death, so why don't you rise again? And you know that, and I know that. And so Jesus, sort of from the inside of the, of the pain of death, he weeps because he sees that, that death and sorrow and pain are part of our reality. But he says, they are not part of our destiny. They're part of our reality now, but they are not part of our destiny. And so what he does is he makes war on death. And he says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. But Lazarus is just a prototype. Lazarus is just a shadow. Lazarus is just a preview of what's really going to happen in a few days as Jesus walks to the cross, pays the penalty for your sin, and then walks out of the grave. Did you know you were never meant to experience death That's why regardless of how old somebody is or how sick they are or how prepared you are for them to die, it always stings. My grandfather was in his 90s and he he passed away this last summer. And it stunk. I mean, there was no piece of that where I went, yeah, that's, that's what's supposed to happen. No, there's a finality in death that you were not designed to experience. And God says, listen, we're making an exchange here. We're making an exchange. Because death isn't getting the final say anymore. Sin doesn't get the final say anymore. I'm reversing your destiny. And look at the way that he describes heaven to us. I'm just going to read verse 4. Chapter 21 of Revelation He says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, your eyes. There will be no more what? Death. No more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. 
You know how you can know you weren't created for death? It's not going to be in heaven, friend. And neither is mourning, sorrow, or pain. Because of and only because of what Jesus does on the cross and the way that he walks out of the grave. I love the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 56 and 7 put it where he says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Here's what he says. The end of the story is not the end of the story. The end of the story is not the end of the story. And you may feel like it is. And hey, I, I understand that, that some of you are, are sick and some of you have lost loved ones or will lose loved ones. And there is nothing that's fun about that whatsoever. But Jesus says to all of us, I, I want a greater truth to prevail in your life. I want a greater truth to prevail that my life that I give does not have a period at the end of your existence here, but that it goes far, far, far beyond. And it's so good, so good, that if I try to describe it to you, he says, I'd just blow up your mind, so let's just wait and you'll experience it. So in a very real way, when we cross the finish line of this life, it's only the end of the race and the beginning of the party. So Jesus says, I love the way that Edward the Confessor puts it when he says, Weep not, I shall not die. And as I leave the land of the dying, I trust to see the blessings of the Lord in the land of the living. Edward goes, I, I'm, not, I'm not going towards the sunset. I'm journeying towards the sunrise. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be good. You see, the great reversal not only provides for us a renewal of our identity, but it provides a reversal of our destiny. And here's the truth of the matter that I, I, I need to point out to you, friends, is that somebody's actions will determine your destiny. Somebody's actions will determine your destiny. And that's why Jesus asked at the end of this verse, he says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. See, either your actions determine your destiny or Jesus's actions determine your destiny. But for the follower of Jesus, what, what Jesus says to us about resurrection power is that your history doesn't determine your destiny. But what Jesus did on the cross does. What Jesus did on the cross does. He continues. And he says this. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. It sounds really similar to what he said in the very first thing that we looked at, but it's a, a little bit changed. And what he's declaring here is that there is a resurrection power that provides life, not only for the life to come, although it does that, but life that starts right now. And he says resurrection power renews your identity, reverses your destiny, and it redefines your present reality. See, because, friends, if Jesus is alive, you can know him. 
You can have relationship with him. And that's what we bank on as followers of Jesus. And unfortunately, in the church, we often settle for knowing about Jesus and we fail to actually know Jesus. But he says that knowing him is actually eternal life. Listen to John chapter 17. Now this is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. And hey, because his body is not in the grave, because the tomb is empty, friend, you can know him. And hey, if you know him, and if he is alive, can I invite you to maybe believe again for the very first time that there is power available for your life that goes far beyond you. That goes far beyond you. If Jesus is alive as we celebrate this morning, if he, if he lives in you like we celebrate, then, then why not start to dream again? Why not start to hope again? Why not start to believe that he is able? Look at the way that Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 state it. And Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the great riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That's you. So we're clear. The Bible's saying that you, in your life, today, not tomorrow, not the last day, but today, that there's power if you're willing to believe. And that power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, man. The same power lives in you. The same power where God says, hey, Lazarus, come on out, lives in you. The same power that raises Jesus dead three days. Come on out, lives in you. But the problem is, here's the problem, is that we often draw parameters around what God's able to do in our life. And the parameters look strikingly similar to what we're able to do. (laughs) And so here's what we say to God. God, I don't think that that, I don't think you can repair that part of my life. Because in the back of my mind, we're thinking, because I know I can't. And I don't think you can repair that relationship. I don't think you can, can speak to that child who's gone away. And, and I don't think that you can get us back to normal financially. And I don't think you can do, and we just list these things that we just say to God, God, I don't think you can do that. And God says, well, well here's the deal. You're in luck because it's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do. And I'm not asking you to bring anything to the party except faith and trust and belief that I am able to do far more abundantly than you could ever think or possibly imagine. That's what, I, that's what he's asking. But I think a lot of us forget that God is able, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, to give life to dead and call into being things that are not. Here's the great news, friends. He's not asking you to bring anything. Except yourself. And accept your faith. And he's saying, I will make new what you give to me. 
But the problem is, here's the problem. We have all these balloons up on stage. You hear a message like this, and here's what I think innately in, in our human nature we do. We go, all right, I gotta renew my, gotta renew my identity. Gotta start living a little better. <laughs> start, gotta work on that sin. I gotta, I gotta reverse my destiny. I've gotta have my good outweigh my bad. And I've got to somehow find power for this life. So a lot of us come in exhausted. Some, some of us come in exhausted because of church. <laughs> but when Jesus says, I am, he implicitly says, you are not. And I think his question for us this morning is not will you will you try harder, but will you will you surrender? Because it's surrender that awakens you to life. It's not your good works, it's not your good deeds, it's not your attempt at being holy. <laughs> and so he says, Will you allow me? To be the resurrection. Will you allow me to be the life? Will you allow me to be everything you've hoped for? And everything you've dreamed for? And I think just as powerfully this morning, what he's asking is, and will you surrender your own ability to try and to try harder and to think that you need to do more? Will you surrender your ability to do everything on your own? And you see, just when you think his life is full in you, he just gives a little more. Just a little more. And see, here's the deal, friends. Here's the deal is that the Christian life is not about what you can do for God. The Christian life is about what Jesus did for you on the cross, and we celebrate it. Ooh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and we celebrate it today. It is our hope, both now, pray for me, and eternally. It is our hope. And our God is good. He will not let us down. And he asks a question in this passage that I want to ask you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I can wipe all your sin away? Do you believe this? Do you believe that I can fulfill every hope and every dream better than you could ever imagine it in your own head? Do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm enough to conquer sin and conquer death? Do you believe this? Do you believe that the end of the story is not the end of the story? Do you believe this? Do you believe that he has the power to awaken life? 
I'm going to invite our band up back up on stage to lead us in one last song. And then I'm going to give you the chance to respond and to say, maybe for the first time this morning, yes, I do believe this. I believe that God is a God who not only calls dead things living, not just in a theoretical way, a theological way, but he is a God that in a very real way, in a day-to-day way, awakens life.